Welcome to another edition of the podcast, Working Drummer. Today we've got Matt Iceman. Matt's a relatively young drummer who hasn't lived in Nashville for very long, but he has already started on his second artist gig with David Nail. At the time of this podcast, he wasn't working with David, he was working with Eric Passley. So you can hear all about that. If you want to find out more about this podcast or other information or see pictures, go to workingdrummer.net. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Here's Matt Iceman. Do you have a name for your studio? Man, uh, tentatively going to call it Barnstar. Barnstar. Yes. Coming to NBC this fall. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. My wife has a love for all things kind of rustic, and she grew up on a farm and everything, so... And she married you. And she married me, and I'm very rustic. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't. I, that's that's probably what it'll be, but... And it's, you know, it's not finished just yet. Like, I gotta trim it out and all that, but it got to a point to where it was functioning, and yeah. so I was like, all right, I'm getting all of this stuff out of our front room of our house, and... Putting it where it belongs. You know, while we're here, I love this because um, you're doing something that is becoming increasingly popular among uh, drummers, is the ability to record at home. Technology has allowed us to do that. Yes. Um, it allows us to afford to do that. Uh, once you have the space and all that stuff, um, it's just a matter. But, I mean, describe. could you describe kind of what you've done or what you have? I mean, we're, we're sitting in it. And it's a it's a it's a garage that's been converted. It doesn't feel like it does. Kind of feel like a small barn, but it definitely has the space. Yeah, it's not huge by any means, but I, like I've done some tracking in here. I, it's really just been functional in the last couple of weeks, as far as being able to record. Yeah, but I'm, and how long did it take you to get to this point? <laughs> a couple years, only because you know you're on the road so much. It's yeah. like. Mm-hmm. You're never home to to do it, and I don't have the money to like just hire a contractor. Basically, it was a buddy of mine who is back in Ohio now, but he lived down here for a mm-hmm. long time, and he's one of those guys that whatever he picks up, he's good at. He's a great guitar player. He builds amps, but he's like premier handyman. Ryan McVeigh, I'll give him a shout out. Nice, but uh, this was. I mean, it's kind of like a car and a half size garage. I think it's like twenty two by sixteen or something. And it was just a cement slab with, like, the outside wall that was up. And there was a garage door on the front of it. And I think the guy that lived here before was, like, a commercial painter, like, on construction sites. Okay. And he was using it kind of as his shop. So, like, the interior of the walls was all just, like, pegboard and stuff with tools hanging on it. It had that feel to it, like... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it had, like, a workbench on it. We pulled all that out, gutted it, took the garage door off... We put all new insulation in the existing, like the exterior walls. Put half-inch OSB over that. Uh, and those of you that don't know what OSB is, it's just you know crappy hardwood. But <laughs> oh, I was like, I don't even know what an OSB is. <laughs> uh, and then framed up the interior walls, so it's a quasi room within a room, right? Type of thing because between the walls, there's anywhere. 
of like an inch to about four inches of air. Right, dead air space. Right. So that's for the soundproofing, right? That's is that. Yeah, yeah, and like there are no parallel walls. There's no ninety degree angles. Everything is angled just slightly. I thought uh, maybe it's because you cut once. Well, yeah, we just eyeballed everything. (laughs) (laughs) But no, and then the ceiling, the reason I say it's a quasi-room within a room is you know, the the rafters that were going across were only like seven feet tall. And it was like, well, I can't just have a seven-foot ceiling if I'm going to get decent drum sounds. So, we took like two-thirds of the building and did, it's kind of hard to describe. I mean, but you're looking at it. Well, I'm going to, and I'm going to get some pictures too. Okay. And we're going to put them up. Sure. Uh, But, uh, I tried to angle it and not have it parallel to the floor and get it as high as we possibly could within the limits of the, the roof. So I think it's tallest point. It's like nine and a quarter. Okay. Uh, just to get some height out of it. But so there's, it's not really separated from the roof. Like the walls are separated from the exterior walls, mm-hmm. but the interior walls are, have you ever seen rock saw insulation? I know this has nothing to do with drumming or anything. No, it all it has everything. I, to do I learned a lot doing this. Like neither yeah. of my parents are handy people, uh-huh. and I grew up not being a very handy person. But I lived with Ryan for the first year that I moved to Nashville, and yeah. he's very like self sufficient. His whole thing is like, well, what if I'm the last person on earth and I've got to survive? So just learning from him and being a homeowner. Yes. You know what that's like. Yeah. Anywhere you can save money and do things yourself yeah. is beneficial. So uh, we we use this rock saw insulation, but it's really just like recycled denim. So you wow. can just touch it with your hands. You don't have to wear a mask. Okay. But it's like, I think they promote it as being like 30% more efficient at like insulation, but it's like 50% more efficient. You know what I have like heard about isolation. this? I have heard about this, yeah. It's great stuff, man. So that's in the interior walls, and then we did, there's this half-inch like compressed glued cardboard that you can buy at Home mm-hmm. Depot. It's black. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know, we called it soundboard. I don't know what it's actually called. Right. But that, it's an acoustic, it's an acoustic thing. I'm yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's not like... You know, you're not going to go to like the tracking room mm-hmm. downtown and see it in there because they're using better stuff. But it kind of decouples your drywall from your framing a little bit. Mm-hmm. So then there's a half inch of that, and then I think we did uh, five eighths drywall or three eighths drywall, maybe. Okay. Uh, and it's pretty good. Like we built it, not really knowing. Like, we had a game plan, but we didn't really know what the results would be, you know, until it was done and I brought drums out here and played. But once you get more than about 20 feet from the building, you can't really hear anything. The kick drum kind of carries a little because the low end. Low end, right. But truthfully, over neighborhood noise, you you don't really hear it. No, and and again, I mean, we're in Nashville. Right. And um, to hear your neighbor playing music or playing an instrument is not unusual and I think people are kind of used to yeah. it uh, to a degree I'm sure it's like New York except that would be a lot louder <laughs> yeah you have so many other own apartment <laughs> right yeah um, no man I'm definitely going to get some pictures um, yeah please do you, you have tracked with it and what what kind of interface are you using um, I bought I got a screaming deal on a if you can call it used 
Apogee Ensemble. The original Firewire one, not the new Thunderbolt version, which yeah. would have been great, but I didn't have $2,600 to spend on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, found it on Amazon. The guy was like, I used it twice, and then I switched to a Windows-based recording rig, sent it to me in the original box, original packaging. Like, it looks like it hasn't been touched. Wow. So, I got that, and I bought from our front of house engineer, Alex, that goes out with Eric, just a... Uh, one of the older Personas Digimax LT 8-channel preamps. Yeah. A little higher end than, like, the Digimax stuff now. Yeah. Not, you know, not API or anything, but... Okay. So, that's what I'm running currently, just into my laptop. My goal is after the first of the year, after Christmas is through, and mm-hmm. travel and all that stuff, kind of assess my finances, and I'd like to get a new Mac, probably a Mac Mini. Okay. And, uh, yeah, and then just keep adding higher end mics and preamps and yeah oh, man it's funny because have you talked to santa yet <laughs> you know because that he's a good source right right yeah i heard i heard he's got a pretty killer studio up there it's a night tall so <laughs> does he, he uses uh igloo technology yeah the no wall is parallel <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny man because you grow up as a drummer it's and, as cold as most studios right yeah <laughs> You grew up as a drummer, and, like, the thing that you put all your money into is, like, oh, snare drums and, and ride cymbals, you know, or, like, whatever. Makeup, clothes. <laughs> well, I Wait mean, a minute. for Savannah Jack, maybe, maybe. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, this is, like, a whole other part of it nowadays. Yes. Yeah, right. Like, and there was, a, okay, not to reference modern drummer or anything, but... There was an interesting art... Do you read Modern Drummer? Yeah. Okay. The Tommy Igo cover yeah. from uh, maybe a year or two ago. Okay. In it, he, he just makes a mention of, like, nowadays, if you're a drummer and you don't have a place where you can record some kind of drums... I saw him on YouTube as well. Uh, or maybe on the Vic Firth site. Okay. Uh, he'd, uh, go on, but I, just, I think I know what you're saying. Just saying, like, you're either not serious or... I don't remember what the other is. But, like, that kind of stuck... And I, I had been planning... This was already in the works when I read that article. Sure. But it, it's true, because the session scene from the 70s... Yeah. The eighties is not a thing anymore. Now, I mean in Nashville, obviously you have your elite of the the guys that are always working in commercial studios mm-hmm. and who doesn't want to be those guys? And obviously right. I'm striving to, to play as well as Shannon or yeah. Chris or whatever, but being able to do it yourself and even if you're just doing demos for people. Right. Man, that's a big deal because guitar players and keyboard players and singers Mm-hmm. Don't need a big space to be able to track stuff. No, they don't. So if they're like songwriters, and they're like, "Oh, I can lay down guitar and a scratch vocal to a click, and I can send Iceman the stems via yes. Dropbox. Yeah, I can throw them in my computer, track drums, and send them back. Right. That's a big deal for them. Instead of yeah. paying for studio time at Oceanway B or whatever. And right. And you get a, if you get a good sound, and which it's increasingly easier to get good sounds. Right. Right. Yeah. So, oh, it makes total sense. And I do remember uh, when I was doing some digging around on Tommy Igo uh, on the Vic Firth site. He's got some play along stuff, which is really awesome. Yeah. And uh, I remember meeting him years ago and uh, just such an impressive player. Um, 
has his fingers in lots of pies as far as being a teacher <clears throat> and uh, and killer player and composer and um, but at the same time he seems to he seems to have a good sense of reality when it comes to what's going on now especially yeah. when I first saw him when I met him probably um, 15 17 years ago you know things have changed so much right so well man and that's one of the things that um, that's that's uh, along with a laundry list of reasons why I wanted to talk to you is because no seriously I think that you kind of have your finger on the pulse of what's going on with drums and being a drummer right now um, you're pretty you know you're a pretty young guy and you're here in town and you're making it happen and you're planting the seeds for what needs to happen to be successful. So um, I, I just I think that you have a perspective that is going to be something that I think people are going to want to know. You know, we, we can talk all day with, with players that have years of experience, and, 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 and those, are, those are so valuable. That information is so valuable, and we all grow and learn from that stuff. But... Um, Sometimes uh, I think that your perspective is going to be unique where it's like, how are you doing this? How are you juggling um, uh, decisions that are going to affect your future, you know? Right. And um, building the studio and getting that stuff together, I mean, I don't know, man. That's that's a big part of it. That's a big part of it. Um, I think that the fact that you're able to do that now is good because there's other drummers that I think want to get into that but because they're in a later station in life right maybe their priorities financially or whatever they can't put it into that they have to put it into their kids or their mortgage or or whatever issues are are going on so you're just in a unique position right now or not a unique position but you're in that position now to do that and like I told you when you got here I've been out here like three in the morning Mm-hmm. Wailing, and mm-hmm. n- neighbors don't even know that I have drums in here. Yeah, which is awesome. Yeah, so oh, I love it, man. A beautiful kit in here. A couple oh, beautiful yes. kits. Yes. It's awesome. Yamaha. <clears throat> yeah. No, please. No, please say. I, I don't. I'm. I'm not officially with them or anything. But yeah. For me, for the sound I like and the feel, nothing beats them. Even the new stuff. I know there's a lot of haters out there with moving production to China and all that, but man, those new hybrid maples, the absolutes, are yeah. some incredible sounding drums. Yeah, yeah. So for sure, man. Well, you know, big part of it is the player too. So, mm. uh, well, but you know, you know what I mean. Like, I'll hear guys that play like a Gretsch kit. Well, like you play a Gretsch kit, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Or like uh, you know Tucker Wilson. Yes. Okay. Yeah. He's got that great Gretsch kit that he takes out with. Josh Thompson, mm-hmm. and it sounds great. But man, like I had a Gretsch kit for a while, mm-hmm. and I could not get it to do. Like I couldn't make it sound like me. Other mm-hmm. guys play stuff, and it mm-hmm. sounds great. But mm-hmm. I really think it's all about finding. I think you're right. Finding your voice. I yeah, mean, uh, it's really hard to. Um, the principle of the drum is pretty simple, and uh, they got it right over a hundred years ago, uh, as far <laughs> right. as the drum set and stuff like that. Not much has changed. Um, and then with the quality of uh, craftsmanship that goes into just, I don't know, uh, quality control 
is where it's at when it comes to drum manufacturers. Yeah. And uh, there, there is a soul that comes with a lot of American-made drums, and there is a quality that comes a lot with a Japanese manufacturer. When you right. combine the two together, and as, as technology has grown and information is shared, we have drum manufacturers and cymbal manufacturers, <laughs> hardware manufacturers across the board that, you know, pick something you like, and it will sound great. Right. Tune I it mean, up. It will sound. If it feels good to you and it makes you feel good, then you're playing the right instrument. Gary Forkham told me that a long time ago. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's the truth, man. Because even if you're playing a $5,000 kit, yep. but it feels like butt to you when you're playing, yeah. it's not going to sound good because nope. you're not going to want to play it. No, no. And you're not going to play at your best. Right. Well, and that's true. And. Uh, I guess that's and one thing that we've not really delved into, and you're our seventh interview okay. we've done, is uh, a lot of gear stuff um, because <laughs> well, I could talk about gear for days. So. Well, I think one of the reasons why we've we've um, mentioned it and we've talked about the essential gear from time to time is the importance of having pro gear so you can do your job. Um, but really, it comes down to so much more, um, especially as as the quality of gear is is so much more easily accessible than it was when I was a kid. Yeah, um, there was such a strong distinction between the student kit and the pro kit, and the student kit did sound like butt. Right um, now, the you lines can get a, are definitely blurred, man. They are very much blurred, <laughs> and I've heard great players sit down behind an. Uh, student line kit and make it sound incredible and with yeah. the right heads. I mean, yeah. I mean, things are do- people are doing things right. Yeah. Uh, with that, there's a lot to choose from and a lot of price points in which to to choose from. So, I know it's very ambiguous. Throwing <laughs> it out there it doesn't give anybody any strong direction. But at the same time, what you just said gives people a strong direction as far as like if if a young person is or somebody is just getting started playing, find something that feels right. Going along with that, it's funny because we both have played some of the same kits in yes. Nashville. Yes. And there's a drum set in a club, and you're like, oh my gosh, that bass drum feels awful. And I was like, yes, it does. Yeah, it's terrible. I, it does. I, I never thought about that. And then there's an old kit that you used to own that you gave to Chris Weaver, who I, or gave it to the Tin Roof. No, oh yeah, I didn't own that. Used to be Weaver's kit at his house, oh. and when he was trying to get rid of it, I said, "You know, Tin Roof is trying to do like multiple band nights now. Why don't you see if they want to buy it as a house kit?" And what was it, dude? It's like I want to say it's a Pearl Export from yeah. before they went to like the Vision series, like the last of the Export. I think you're series. right. I think you're right. Yeah, that kit, man, like, the toms can be kind of wonky sometimes. Oh, I know. But, but the kick drum feels amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, you put your own pedal on it, but you are totally, totally right. Yeah. You are totally right. And it's like, gosh, I love this. And it's like, when I walked in there and I saw the kit, and it's like, well... <sighs> and I had my drums in my car. Yeah. I had my Gretches in my car. Yeah. Oh, you don't because want to take Gretsch's into the Well, we, we heard that we, we were told that we had to bring all our own stuff. Right. And uh, I was like, man, I, you know, I walked in there. I was like, well, there's this kit. I'm going to use it for this night. I just have to bring stuff in and out. Yeah. And 
I'm glad I just took the time to to play that kid. And yeah. I was like, man, this feels and it's yeah, yeah. you were totally right. Except man. then you like the next night you play your kid and you're like, my foot was so much faster last night. Like I don't know what happened, man. <laughs> There's something about that that kick drum where you can just play some oh man some doubles, man. <laughs> I had some producer guy like give me his card and a little note. He's like, "Call me. I have a session for you." I'm like, because he was sitting right behind me, and I'm like, "Oh, that. Thank you. Thank you. That's not my kit, by the way." (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. (laughs) Man. Uh, Yeah. Because I mean, it's really, it's like definitely a young person's. It's kind of hot rod because it's like red with like black hardware. Yeah. 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 And I mean. I'm I'm a purist when it comes to drums like chrome hardware. I don't. I, I'm not. Well, you a, and Keo should get together because he's got a Mapex kit. We just talked about this, and if you're listening <laughs> to his podcast first, you'll love the story of his spray painted <laughs> Mapex kit with black hardware. Oh, and uh, you guys could get together yeah. with your natural wood grain Yamaha with chrome hardware, <laughs> which is just awesome. That's. I mean. That's just what I'm into. Like, I like some sparkle finishes and stuff, but yeah. the whole, like, oh, let's make our hardware, like, black or satin chrome or... I had a Ludwig kit for a while that was, like, a road kit for the Weaver band. Yeah. And it was, like, one of the Ludwig Epic kits, and I had, like, the vintage bronze hardware. And, man, that kit sounded great and it had a cool finish. It was, like, natural to black burst. It was 24, 12, 16. But I hated... The the hardware man like I'm just I want it to be chrome and right. to me that's just classy. Well, I had a DW kit in the in the nineties and it Who was did? a beautiful sounding kit. Who did right? <laughs> and it was black hardware. I you know I watched. Um, oh gosh, I can't remember the drummer uh, at the time um, who played with Seal. Played with Elton John, uh, Kurt Biscara. Oh yeah, he yeah. was on Saturday Night Live and he had this beautiful royal blue. DW kit with black hardware mm. and like the next week I ordered it <laughs> and uh, I moved to Nashville and I called DW and I said Dude, can I swap out chrome hardware and they helped me out that's they, cool they really set me up and it completely changed the, the look of the kit and yeah. it brightened it up and it just looked beautiful Yeah, it was a beautiful kit I, I miss it sometimes um, <laughs> sorry we're talking about gear so much we're right talking now. about gear that's totally cool and it's not I mean I like what you said earlier. It's not about the gear as much. It's really about the player. It's in it's in your hands, man. And it's, well, it's in here. So many players, because right now we're talking to a lot of players in Nashville. So, um, so there's going to be a lot of stuff that's associated with what's going on in Nashville. <clears throat> and uh, we talk a lot about players that um, I'm really hoping to be able to sit down and talk to. Um, but these guys, their names keep coming up. And like like Greg Morrow, but yes. for example, yes, I was in Fork's drum closet, and uh, there was an old beater kit. No, a new new kit that just was out of tune. You yeah. know, it was beautiful, but it just when you hit it with a stick, just in a in a big old uh, reverby drum yeah store, it just everything's vibrating off the walls, right? And it just doesn't sound quite as cool as it probably could be. Greg sits down and just plays a little bit of time on it and it sounds incredible yeah it just sounds incredible and if I played the exact same thing it wouldn't sound like what he's so 
It's coming through. It's coming through yeah, the player. Exactly. It's really amazing. Shifting gears, man. I want to um, find out what you're up to right now. Uh, my main gig over the past couple years has been with country artist Eric yeah. Pasley. Has it been a couple years that you've worked with him? I started playing with him in January of 2013. Oh, really? Yeah. And the way that happened was... How do you spell his last name? Because that's been kind of a... P-A-S-L-A-Y. P-A-S-L-A-Y. A-Y. Yes. Okay. Uh, I was, you know, I played with the Chris Weaver band for almost seven years. Yeah, and, and that's where we met because we were down on right, Broadway right. and my band would play and then your band would play. And right. it, yeah. And I always had to follow you and it always sucked. And I'd watch you play and then I'd walk <laughs> out with my tail between my oh, legs. Oh, whatever, man. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but in, in like November of 2012, Weaver was really working hard to kind of push his original thing. Or maybe in October. Mm-hmm. And he had told us, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a radio tour in January yeah. of 13. And we're pretty much going to have that whole month off. We're going to work like the first weekend, and then we're going to be off. And I want to tell you guys now, so you have time to like put some feelers out, you can fill up the month. So a radio tour, for people that don't know, an artist goes out, <clears throat> sometimes by themselves, sometimes as a duo with a... Um, oftentimes the drummer is left out of the loop. Right. So you've got an acoustic player supporting the singer, and they go out and do it. It's a really stripped-down thing. Yeah. So we're not involved. I mean, sometimes drummers get to go and like play cajon, but right, they don't you're make David it. Black and you <laughs> sing. Yeah, yeah, and you do all that stuff, then yeah, they don't make a cajon big enough to support my frame, though. Well, so, <laughs> so I don't, I don't do that. But uh, the plus size cajon, yeah, right? Like the husky cajon. <laughs> you know what? We're gonna edit that out because I have a new marketing idea. Oh no! <laughs> um. So anyway, he had said, you know, I just want to give you guys a heads up, which was really cool of him. He didn't have to do that. Sure. Uh, and that was. This is gonna be a long answer to your question. Yeah, but, no, I mean, cool. I figure that's what we're here for. So. Right. Uh. That was kind of a scary thing, because I had pretty much only played with him since 07. Mm-hmm. Like, we worked so much that there never really was time to go play with anybody else. Yeah. And and you know how it is, too. Like, yeah. people just kind of think, oh, well, Iceman's busy. I'm, you know, I'd like to call him, but he's probably not going to do it, so they just call somebody else. Right. Uh so it was kind of like, oh man, like a whole month, and I don't know where my money's going to come from. And mm-hmm. So you just get on Facebook and text, and anyone that you know, even if they're a drummer, oh, yeah. you say, hey, if you know of anyone that needs a drummer, or if you need a sub, mm-hmm. or, you know, I know some other, like, singers that were doing cover band things or whatever, like, you know, feel free to hit me up. And actually, even before Christmas... My January calendar was like pretty much full. Nice. More more so than if I had just done like Weaver dates. Mm-hmm. So that was 
reassuring to kind of know that, yeah. oh, okay, I can do this on my own. Right, right. And that might have been the beginning of the end <laughs> for the Weaver Band. Well, maybe it was, in, it was empowering for you. A, a little bit, a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, anyway, all that to say, so the wife and I were going to go to Ohio for Christmas. On, we were going to leave like on a a Sunday. And a guitar player buddy of mine called me kind of like two days before a Broadway gig and was like, hey, I need a drummer. Can you do this? It's for this guy I play with all the time. And it was going to be, I think, like the night before we left. And I was like, man, I don't really know if I want to do that. I've already, like, it was Christmas and I'm a huge Christmas freak. So I like check out for a while and just want to enjoy Christmas. Yeah. And I had kind of already gotten to that point. Like the Weaver calendar had ended for the year and yeah. until New Year's Eve or whatever. And I was just in that mode of just being home and relaxing. Yeah. Which you need to take time for yourself. Yeah. But you have to walk that line of don't check out too much because if you stop taking gigs, people stop calling. You say no too much and they just, they, mm-hmm. won't, they right. won't hit you up. It does go away. You're right. But, uh, so I said, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. And it was a Broadway gig with a guy I'd never played with before. And he did a lot of songs that I didn't know. And it was one of those things where I was like, I already checked out and I kind of felt like, oh man, he said, he had sent me a song list and I was like, oh, I'll just give these a listen and I'll just go and wing it. But for whatever reason, higher power or what have you, something in me was like, no, I should probably like chart all these songs I don't know. So I at least have some kind of reference. Yeah. And, you know, I've developed kind of a quickie chart system. I think every drummer in town, if if you're not doing the number system, then you've got your own thing. Yeah. Where I can just, you know, I put the playlist together on Spotify. Yeah. Which that's a whole other thing we don't have to talk about. But, uh, and just kind of listen to each song, made a chart, get your tempo. And went, and actually the gig went really well. Yeah. And, the ba- like, I didn't know anybody in the band. Mm-hmm. And the bass player... So how did this guy refer... You say it was a guitar player, a friend of yours. Like, yeah. You knew the guitar player. I knew the guitar player, and he okay. was just playing with this singer. Gotcha. Okay. So the bass player on the gig was Jeff Jenkins, who I didn't know. Yeah. But at the time, he was band leading for Eric. Okay. And so the gig went really well, and he and I got along together mm-hmm. really well and played well together. And so the next morning, as we're getting ready to go to Ohio, he like shoots me a text, and he's like, Hey, Matt, it was great to play with you last night. I really enjoyed it. It felt great. I play with Eric, mm-hmm. and he's kind of in between drummers right now. Yeah. I think you'd be a great fit. Would you be interested? And I didn't... You know, that was kind of before... Eric didn't have anything on the radio of his own. Mm-hmm. He, it's funny, he got signed as an artist, but then took off as a writer. Yeah. Before that. Awesome. So he wrote like Barefoot Blue Jean Night. Yeah. And uh, Even If It Breaks Your Heart for Eli Young Band. Okay. And Angel Eyes with Love and Theft. Like, oh, nice. Some pretty big number right, ones. Right, I have heard that. That's okay. great. Yeah. But I didn't know who he was. You yeah. know, I knew those songs, but I didn't know him. And I was like, yeah, sure, that'd be great. And so Jeff said, Okay, well, we've got two shows in San Antonio at the end of January. 
would you be interested in doing them? And it kind of be like your audition. Like, we'll do a rehearsal on these two shows, and then if Eric likes you, we'll continue to call you first. Because Eric's calendar at the time was, like, two or three fly dates a month. Mm-hmm. He wasn't, like, booked every week. He didn't have, like, a band. I see. You know, he had, like, guys that he called first all the time, but if they were committed to other things, then he would just call some mix else. match of yeah. musicians. Gotcha. And Chris Kimmerer, you know, Chris... He plays with uh, Thomas Rhett now. No, I and he's like know. co-owner of Brown Owl Studio over in Berry Hill. I don't, yeah, know. Okay. I don't know. Sorry. Well, you should do a podcast with him. Okay. He he's awesome, man. He's okay. been a great friend for. I met him my first year, second year down here, and super inspirational, killer player, nice. just an all-around good. Dude. Okay. Like, okay, for sure. Uh, he had been playing with Eric like the year before, off and on, but then he got the TR gig. And it was one of those things where. Eric would call him first, and if he could do it, he would do it, but he was able to do it less and less, and they were calling other drummers for, like, a gig here, a gig there, and it just wasn't the right fit. So I said, sure, I'll do it. So January comes along, I do all these other gigs with other people, and I start to realize, oh, man, I can actually maybe... I I don't need to rely on, like, this one band right, as my sole source of income or playing or anything like that. Yeah. Uh... So I, I do the rehearsal on the two shows in San Antonio with Eric, and it goes pretty well, and Eric seems to like me, and I've been with him ever since. I officially left the Weaver Band in May of 2013, the end of May in 2013. Oh, that long ago, okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, through that summer, Eric was kind of light, so I filled in with like Broadway gigs and another mm-hmm. artist I played with. Yeah. And then... The fall of 13, we were on the Eli Young Band Tour. Yeah. Did that. And, man, this last year, we I think we did 178 band dates or something. Wow. Wow. That's it impressive. Was, for, it was quite busy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, his he had Friday Night went number one as, as his first, like, single as an artist. Wow. And uh, it was a good year. We did the Brantley Gilbert Tour in the spring, which was all arenas. And we got to play Red Rocks. Oh, Which that's was great. That's super great. cool. And then we did Farron Festival thing over the summer. And then mm-hmm. we just did, like, I think eight or nine dates with Dirk Bentley and Randy Hauser to end yes, the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I saw those pictures. That's great. It was cool, man. Yeah. So that, that's the long answer of that. But before that, I was just doing the Weaver Band. But, but when, when did you move to town? When did you move to Nashville? I moved here August of 06. Uh huh. And I worked the old nine to fiver for a little over a year. I worked at you know Treeworks Chimes. Yeah, for sure. I worked over there uh, until like October of '07. Yeah. And then it was light at first, but just I have been playing and doing nothing but playing. Yeah. Since then. Since then, when did you hook up with Chris Weaver? Uh. Around that time, like the way that came is I auditioned for Shelly Fairchild. Yeah. Who she had put out like a record as a country artist. Yeah. And it did like, okay, I think. I'm, I'll be honest, I didn't really know who she was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she was trying to go maybe in like a different direction, do kind of like a neo soul. Right. Type right. of thing. A little edgier, maybe a little more rock than that. But Probably fits her voice. Maybe. Yeah, she, dude. She's a great singer. Yeah. Yeah. Man, her pipes are ridiculous. Yeah. So, I auditioned for that gig. 
And the way that was working was it was going to be a package of Shelly Fairchild, but then Shelly's producer was also working with Chris. Hmm. Uh, and then the guitar player for Shelly, Kate Doyle, she was working with him too, like as an artist. So it was going to be like kind of the same band back these three people. Oh, nice. So we would kind of do like showcases together and it would be like mm-hmm. Cade and then Weaver and then Shelly. Shelly. And it started out like that, but like Shelly was really only playing like maybe a show a month. Mm-hmm. And Weaver had been doing already uh, like every Friday night at the Tin Roof 2 yeah. down in Cool Springs and... He would sometimes play the tin roof on the Mumbrian, doing like the four-hour cover thing. Right. And he had kind of a consistent group of guys that he was playing with, right. but it was kind of rotating. Because it was like Matt Billingsley was playing with him okay. then. And Slim, guitar player, Slim that plays with Lady right. A. Yeah, sure. They, they would come in when they could, but like Lady A was starting to blow up then. Right. So they weren't as available. So it was... Uh, me on drums and my favorite bass player of all time, Cornelius Perry, Con yeah, Horn, yeah. and Cade, and a, and a keyboard player, who I'm not a fan of, so I won't mention. <laughs> but uh, we were just kind of asked us, like, look, I've got this thing every Friday. It doesn't pay that much, but it's consistent work. It may lead to other things. Do you guys want to start doing that with me? Yeah. So that band could develop and become consistent for his thing and for Shelly's thing, like just playing together all the time. Right, right, yeah. And were you still working at TreeWorks at the time? No, no. Okay, so you, this is the, the TreeWorks thing ended maybe not as as well as it could have. Yeah, yeah sure. and I, man, I was younger, and you know, I had a lot of fire in me then, and it, it wasn't it's good. All like, going away now. Man. You're so I'm so mellow. old. Yeah, I'm so mellow. <laughs> but man, it it wasn't. I am thankful that that job was there because it got me down here. And Gary Forkham introduced me and kind of hooked me up with the job. Yeah. But beyond that, like, it wasn't a very healthy place to work Mm. if you wanted to play. There were a lot of jaded players there. Mm Mm-hmm. That, and I, I, man, I just, I hate that. Like. Well, and uh, Nashville has this unique vibe to it that, uh, other places like New York or LA have uh, you have a lot of people here. There's such a strong presence of a music industry that um, when you come down here and you're trying to juggle part-time work and get into playing full-time, uh, you you have to meet those. Uh, you have to deal with those t- different types of attitudes. And right. I worked at Forks Drum Closet when I first moved down. And um, and I was very fortunate to be there, and Gary giving me the job, and I met, I learned so much. I met so many great players that way. I learned so much about Nashville. I learned so much about the scene in Nashville, and a very short amount of time for being there. As I started to get more into playing and more into playing, it conflicted with Gary's interests. Right. As a as the owner of that business, um, for me to. Um, take time off to do right. this that that didn't work for him um not in this town you know yeah. for jim rupp at columbus percussion that's what all that's 
all of us did that. We all worked there part-time, played part-time. Right. And that's as far as we really could go. Sure. Um, but for Gary, he needed commitment. Right. And I, I wanted to play. So we had a similar situation as you did, I think. Yeah. Um, I was struggling with with making those decisions. So it wasn't the cleanest cutoff, but at the same time, Gary and I are still, you know, we're still very close. And, and right. uh, uh, he we just made that decision kind of both together, like, okay, you've got to go. And I'm like, I've got to go. And we're yeah. both like, see you later. And uh, now I'm a customer. And now, you know, <laughs> now you we're, <laughs> you know, yeah. but it has to, you have to make that decision <clears throat> if you're going to do it. Yeah. Um, you can't uh, wobble. Right. You got to go. It's, and it's tough, Time man. To go. It's a scary thing. Yeah. But, if, but if you don't make that decision, you, you never will. Well, why not? So why Nashville? And and you say Gary helped you get that job when you first moved to town. So did you know Gary? No. What was no. your connection? Okay, so Nashville. Why Nashville? I'll tell you why Nashville. I grew up playing drums in church, mm-hmm. and like my family was like a very church oriented family, and mm-hmm. uh, so like a lot of my early exposure to music was maybe a lot of like the like the CCM stuff, okay? Yeah. Like contemporary Christian yeah, music. Yeah. Yeah. And I love my parents. They don't have the hippest taste in music. I say that like that's not entirely true cuz my mom had a lot of records of like Chicago, mm-hmm. Three Dog Night. Mm-hmm. So my early listening like in my formative years of playing was really split between like 70s or like even 50s and 60s like yeah uh classic rock and i don't mean like zeppelin but i mean like all the phil specter stuff oh cool or like the motown stuff like oldies yeah and then like some of the you know like chicago earth wind and fire stuff like that or like point of grace or dc talk yeah mm-hmm. so which i didn't know at the time just listening to it but like there's a Point of Grace record. I think it's called Steady On that Steve Brewster's on. Actually, I think Chad Cromwell's on a couple of cuts, too. Really? But, really? but Brewster's on it, and it's from, like, 95. So it production sounds very 95. The drums are, like, really raw. and But, dude, his playing. Yeah. I love that record just for the drums. The songs are kind of cheese and whatever. Yeah. But his drumming, like, he goes for some fills that nowadays a producer would be like, yeah, that, you got that out of your system? Cool. Now just give me Pat Boone, Debbie Boone. Like, <laughs> seriously. Have you thought about recording a solo record? <laughs> yeah, I have. Save that film for the Yeah, case. yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, all that to say, I started playing drums in sixth grade. The The youth pastor at our church, his son was my age. Yeah. And we were pretty good friends. And he had a VHS copy of a DC Talk live concert. Yeah. And it was from, like, 93, 94. And Will Denton yeah. was their drummer for a long time. And after watching that, it was like, that's what I want to do. Awesome. So, I as I got older, like, in college for a while, I was like, oh, maybe I'll do L.A. Because mm-hmm. I thought, oh, man, it's like, you never have a bad day out there with weather. like Just traffic. Just, tra- just traffic, smog. Yeah. But, you know... The more I thought about it, I was like, I'm not really the L.A. type. Mm-hmm. 
I have since been out there several times and have loved it way more than I thought I would. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It's That's great. True. That's true. Sure. But the Nashville thing. I mean, I'm from Ohio. You're from Ohio. Yeah. It's even though we're in the South, like yeah. Nashville's really similar to like Columbus as far as the feel of the city. Yeah. And just kind of yeah. like the attitude of the people. It's not the, the South people. the way like Birmingham or Jackson, Mississippi. Right. Right. It's not this. It's such an amount. It still feels so Midwest to me. It is. Yeah. And there's so many people from all over the country. It's yeah. A, it's a melting pot for sure. So. I think the Nashville thing started because. I just knew that that's where Christian music was coming from. And as a young, younger player, I really thought, oh, that's where my future will be. And then every Christian artist ever just started putting out worship records, and I got totally turned off, and it became the most disingenuous thing I've ever heard. Hmm. So, and maybe that's a topic for another podcast, but... Well, no, no, it's a, but I mean, but, but that was the catalyst for your interest in Nashville. I mean, <clears throat> CCM, I think is probably one of the second strongest styles of music that come out of this right. industry in this town. Right. And country music. Growing up, I didn't listen to any country. I didn't even play country music until I... Like, I didn't even listen to it until I started playing, which was... I did a year at Capital University, mm-hmm. which you're familiar with, Yeah. Uh, as a jazz studies major. And it was a horrible fit. It just was not good for me. Yeah. And I took a year off... And I met some guys who were kind of from the, my area, like my hometown. Yeah. They, they had like a regional country band, like doing covers and stuff, but they were playing like every weekend. Mm-hmm. And they needed a drummer. And I just started doing that. And the more I listened to it, I was like, okay, this isn't terrible. And that was like 2003. Yeah. So it was kind of the beginning of like the shift of... Or at least what I perceive as the shift of like country music maybe not being so twangy or honky-tonky. And I will say this. It's funny. You run into people that you know, that you've known for a long time, that know like, oh, you didn't listen to country music and you don't even like it. Or, yeah. And it's like, well, I do like it. I like some of it now. There's a lot of crap. But I like some of it. Yeah. But... The function of the rhythm section within yeah. country music yeah. is the same as rock music. Like, I, I, I call it American popular music. Yeah. You know, and, and across the board, there's pop, there's rock, there's country. But the rhythm section, there's a certain stasis about its role yeah. in, in that whole situation. I mean, it's all coming from the same place. It is coming from the same place. But it's just funny when people are like, well, play me a country beat. And it's like, I mean, outside of like a train beat or like a country shuffle or something, yeah, it just sounds like rock music. Well, you could play a train beat behind a, a, a really cool rock song. Right. You can play exactly. a country shuffle behind a blues yeah. or a dead song or something like that. I mean, the applications are endless. It's yeah. two and four people. Exactly. You know, if we were in South America and we were doing, you know, it's like we'd be talking about clave. Two and four to me is clave in American popular music. Yeah. And all the same things apply. Groove, pocket, feel. Um, I think the drums have in country music have gotten louder. And I'm just like you. I did not grow up listening to country music. <clears throat> but I have discovered 
great music in the country genre. Yes. And I'm not afraid to recognize the good and the bad in all genres, even the stuff that I claim this, I love this music, I love jazz, I love bebop, but there's some records that I'd be like, no, I don't like that. Just because it's jazz doesn't mean that it's great. Right. Just because it's classic rock doesn't mean that it's great. Right. You know? There may be something that, uh, you know, there may be a Led Zeppelin song that I don't like, and I'm not afraid to admit it. <laughs> sure. It doesn't make me an anti-Zeppelinite. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> Just at that, I'm also not afraid to say, have you heard this Leanne Womack record? It's, her voice is awesome. The song is great. The lyrics mean so much. Shannon Forrest kills it on that. Yeah, oh you man. Know? So, yeah, there's, um, that's a whole nother topic. Yeah, not to gush about that guy, but there are records that I buy simply because he's on it. And I yeah. just want to hear. My first country record I ever bought was, and there's probably going to be country music fans that are going to be rolling their eyes at me. <laughs> Uh, for so late, for not only being so late to the game, but um, Sarah Evans, Born to Fly, because Matt Chamberlain is playing on that. And the opening number is him all over it. Yeah. It's sick. And I'm like, yeah, I can play country. I'd love to play country music. I'd love to play that. Um, but it, that's just open your mind, people. That, that's the thing, man. Everybody has a unique story, man, and yeah. how to get how you got to where y- you are now, and how you're and where you're going with all this stuff. Everybody's there's no tried and true formula. You're not walking into an office with a resume and going through the interview process. Right. Um, this seems to be the theme this week because you're the fourth podcast we've done uh, in the the last three days, okay. and. Um, there's this common theme this week, and it's about relationships, and yeah. um, about making an impression upon people with your playing, the way you did uh, when you did that gig, that last minute gig on Broadway. You met the bass player, who introduced you to the Eric Paisley gig. Yeah, Passley. Passley. <laughs> Thank you. No, no. Well, I have to do that because it's it's amazing how many people you meet that, or like the best one I heard was Eric Paulsey. And I was like, oh, man, all right. Passley. That's different, yeah. Passley, yeah. Uh, no, that's good. I mean, it's so close to... Yeah. 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 And, and you I guys, have that. you thought about doing the Paisley Passley tour? <laughs> we t- Eric talks about that all the time. He's like, yeah, let's just confuse everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it would confuse anybody think- because it would it would bring it to light. Right, It would right. bring it to light, but, yeah. Hey, if Rat Paisley wants us to open for him. I'd be all about it. Yeah, and then we could do the Who, the Guess Who, yeah. and um, <laughs> man, yeah. But uh, yeah, and I, my, there was a thing I wanted to say about that. Had I not prepared for that last minute Broadway gig, right? Because it's so easy, and you know, man, you get a certain to a certain comfort level. With, like, playing last-minute gigs and just being like, well, I'll know the songs enough, and I'll just keep my eyes open and my ears open. Mm-hmm. And that's a great way to learn songs, by the way. Well, that's just a skill. To kind of get thrown in. Yeah, and that's a skill, and, 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 and that's a, 
an important skill. Sure. Yeah. But, like, if I, for whatever reason, I decided to prepare more mm-hmm. than I felt like doing. Yeah. And had I just shown up and just had a song list, but not known any of these songs, and every song just looked at somebody and be like, yeah, what's the tempo? Oh, how's the intro? Yeah. And blow through diamonds, and which mm-hmm. a diamond is like a rest, basically. <laughs> For those that don't know, that's natural numbers <laughs> jargon. But, you know, things like that where it's just a drag for everybody the whole night. Like, oh, this drummer, man. Like, because even so many people talk about, like, oh, man, his time or his feel, his pocket's so good. But it's like, if your pocket's so good, but you don't know the song, yeah, your feel's only going to carry you so far. You know what I mean? Like It's part of the equation, right. I being mean, prepared and really yeah. knowing the tunes as well as you can. Now, obviously, I only had like a day to learn these songs, so I don't know them like I played on the record. But if if I can make a quick chart with a roadmap where I can at least see, oh, this turnaround going into the second verse is like a weird five-bar phrase or something. Or it's got a two-four bar at the end. Okay, sure. Things like that that you're catching. Yeah. Make a big difference because it's like, oh, this guy is at least on the same page as the rest of us. Yeah. That being said, everyone on Broadway doesn't do everything exactly like the record. Right. Well, so you, the- even if you're prepared and you have charts, you still got to – you can't just zone out and look over your left shoulder the whole night. Right. Well, as my friend Alex Stevens says, there's the right way, there's the wrong way, there's the and there's Broadway. Broadway. Yes. <laughs> yes. But – uh well, no, no, but I mean that's but but that also speaks to you as an individual and your commitment to the gig, your respect <clears throat> for the gig, and I don't know a lot of Broadway gigs don't pay well. Sure, but um, the the fact that you're taking the time to uh, care about what you do, um, you can't just say, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna make this pocket feel good. I mean, that takes years, or that takes time, and that takes. You know, definitely uh, time in the practice room and listening and taking time to listen to great players and good music. Uh, but to sit down and write the charts and do all those things, I mean, that tells the person that you're playing with down there that, hey, I'm going to take this seriously. And I'm sure that the bass player said, man, Matt feels his pocket feels great. He's got all these other things. And he took the time to learn this stuff. So <clears throat> all that adds up to... I bet he would be great for this gig. You right. Know, he seems like a decent guy. And that's a big part of the equation as well, being able to get along with people on the road. Yeah. Then you're, you we, fit all the criteria, man. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. If I had gone and just totally sucked, yeah. like to me, it just would have been a Broadway gig that went okay. I never would have known that Jeff played with Eric and it might have led to something else. So I guess my moral of that story is no matter what the situation Prepare as much as you can. Yeah. Because in in Nashville or any major like industry town, a casual gig like that, you don't know who else is going to be on it and who they play with. Right. It can right. lead to something really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, probably more often than not, it doesn't. But we never know who's in the audience as well. Exactly. Exactly. You never know. Um, the the other thing is is is. In this town, there's always somebody that's, well, there's always somebody that is better than you. In, I mean, as far as... Um, there's a lot of people that are better than me, man. I'll well, you know what I mean? That. It's like, I mean, we all do what we do best. Right. And we all have our unique voices and stuff Four like in that. the lap. That's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
but 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 there's there's uh, there's so many great players. I guess yeah. the, maybe the way I should phrase this is: there's so many great players in this town that sometimes the best way to stand apart from them is to be be prepared. Yeah, and and be a cool person. Right. Um, if you think that you're going to stand apart from them by being a really sick player by doing all this crazy stuff. It may work in some situations, but it's not going to work because it, people do hire you based on your playing style, your personality, right. blah, blah, blah. So there's uh, being prepared is just another one of those things. That seems like a no-brainer to me. Yeah. Like, I like this drummer because he's never prepared. That just yeah, is not yeah. something that people say. His pocket feels great, but he just doesn't know any of the tunes. Like, I, I don't know if... It'd be a very interesting situation if somebody hired you and they were like, "Oh, he never learns any of his songs, but his playing feels great." I've never heard anybody say that. Like, no, and, and you know what I mean. But but it, like I said, depending on the gig, there may be a gig where somebody says, uh, or or they need somebody that is really good improv- improvising. Sure. Or there's a more of a jam type situation, and so you need somebody with big ears, and so there's really no material to learn. But when you're doing artist gig in an industry type situation. Um, being prepared and knowing the material when you're doing TV shows, when you're on a major tour, um, it doesn't matter how much you can improvise in that arena, in that right. type in of that, situation. In that thing, yeah. Uh, um, then you do need to be consistent. Consistency, every yep. Consistency is really important. Yeah. Now, session work, other types of gigs, creativity, improvisation. Right. Those things come into play yeah, much I mean, more so. It's a different, like, muscle. Mm-hmm. And I think Sean Pelton has talked about that before. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's not about how fast your paradiddles are or whatever. Like, it's really, in a studio setting, coming up with something cool. Yeah. And you have to, like, work at that. You know, you mm-hmm. can't just show up and, ex- oh, something's going to come to me. Like, mm-hmm. you got to listen to a lot of different stuff. Yeah. And yeah, you yeah. kind of meld that yourself and like, yeah. oh, I could do what he did on this record and combine it with this and mm-hmm. that'd be really cool. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other skill set. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's something I I'm, I try to What do you to, do to when you have at? free time to practice? What do you work on? Man. Besides your foot. <laughs> my foot. <laughs> I need to work on my foot. Okay, so here's what I've been working on lately. Uh, one of the things, if if I may be so jaded, that is kind of a drag about when you're doing an artist gig with someone like that's at the stage that Eric is, mm-hmm. and I I say it's a drag in jest because it's still awesome, but it is one of the it's tough to deal with. When you're on a big tour, like when we did the Brantley Gilbert tour, yeah, we were the opener to the opener. It was us yeah. and Thomas Rhett and Brantley Gilbert. Yeah. So we only get to play for 20 minutes. Yeah. So there's a lot of like downtime, and it's a lot of hurry up and wait. And it's yep. like I'm out there. I'm not a. I'm not big into like drinking or or anything else. Like the reason I love to play music. Yeah. And tour is because I want to play music and I want to play it at the highest level I possibly can every night. Yes. And it was a big shift from playing four or five nights a week for four hours a night where you can settle in and like, oh man, this is great. Like 
Even because even if you didn't get to play the rest of the day, mm-hmm. you're still playing four hours that day. Yeah. To go, to go from that to like, even when Eric headlines a club, the longest we play is ninety minutes. Yeah. And it goes by so fast. Yeah. When you're used to playing for three and a half or four hours. Yeah. So when you're on a big tour and we're the opener to the opener, we're only playing twenty minutes. Yeah. There's like not a whole lot of time to play, you mm-hmm. know? And that goes by really fast. That's like six, maybe seven songs. Right. If you can really push it in, if you could play for like half an hour. Yeah. So I, this past year, I took, you know, I bought a new practice pad mm-hmm. and I, I bought some Tom Unk's marching sticks. And Vic Firth, their website, they were doing like a hybrid rudiment series, which is like all the drum corps kind of rudiments. Oh. Which I marched in high school. Uh-huh. I did all that. I haven't done it since then. But protest march. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. no, that was me. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, and while certain areas of my playing are definitely better than when I was 16, 17, 18, my hands maybe are not. Interesting. Y- you know what I mean? Yeah. Because you're using it's a different like we're talking. It's a different skill set. Like. Placing your backbeat where you want it is different than, oh, playing flam fives uh-huh. and, you know, getting your accent, your your tap height. Yeah. So I just started working through those because I didn't know a lot of hybrid movements. I was like, well, I want to get kind of get my hands in shape. So, like, working on cheeses and flam fives and book reports and things like that, I would just kind of – I would go out in the arena. I would go to, like, the furthest seat from the stage mm-hmm. while they were setting it up. Mm-hmm. And I would just sit there with my phone, with a click on, and work on that stuff. Yeah. Because at least it gets the blood flowing, and I'm warmed up kind of the whole day then. Yeah. Because on the Brantley tour, we didn't really even get a sound check most of the time. It was like, you go up there, and you get a line check for like maybe 10 minutes, and that's it. And then the doors open. Yeah. I can remember one time we were line checking after the doors were open. Mm-hmm. Which is all I will say about that. Uh, <laughs> touring with Dirks Bentley, yeah, that crew is amazing. Those guys are awesome. They're on top of their game every day. What? We always got the stage when we were supposed to. We always had like an hour to sound check. Yeah, it was like a night and day difference. And those are the only two like. But how big did you handle tours. that when when you when you only had a line check? I mean, what? Did Man, you throw a fit? No, you can't. And you know, like, and that's not my job. I'm just a drummer. Like, I'll leave that to our tour manager or our production manager. I'd be the bad guy. I, I just, you know, I show up. Yeah. And I get my stuff on stage as quickly as possible, and I get the the tracks rig up and running, and you know, then our monitor guy comes over the ears and says, "Okay, give me this, give me that, give me mm-hmm. that," and then it's done. And man, I mean. It's not like I needed that time because I don't know these songs. Like, I got to play these songs before I forget them. But it's a big difference, like, playing in a room that size. Yeah. From, like, playing at the Toby Keith's in Cincinnati. Like, yeah. your your ear mix changes without actually changing anything. Right. You I know? think people are surprised to find out that when you're using ears, it doesn't negate the fact that rooms can influence your mix. Absolutely. People in the room can influence the mix. Bodies that absorb sound can. And it's like, how is that different than using a wedge? But it really is. It really can. And um, But going back to what you were saying about you got to just do it. You just have to be a pro. Yeah. Like, 
So this day didn't go the way it was supposed to. And maybe all the days on this tour didn't go the way the day sheet says they're supposed to go. Man, deal with it. Yeah. Like, we're the opener to the opener. We we can complain, but it's not going to change. Well, not only that, but it's uh, it's the Eric Pasley <laughs> tour. That's your it's the, that, your, that's yeah, your artist, right? It's not uh, featuring Matt Iceman. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, man. And okay. So, speaking of monitor guy, uh, that's an interesting point. Which I kind of want to talk about this just because it's been my last couple weeks. We've had we've had all of December off, which has mm-hmm. been awesome because we just hit it so hard this year. Yeah, Eric was like, "Yeah, I, I you know, I'm going to play some acoustic shows, but band and crew like you guys just take it easy." Uh, we are currently, well, I guess the decision's been made, but we were doing band auditions, which is actually one of the reasons the studio is so cluttered because we were doing them here. Oh, wow. Because uh, everyone's got to do whatever they can to save money yeah. in the music industry. So I'm the band leader as well now. I got oh. made band leader in August. So I said, okay. well, I have this place. It's not ideal, but we can use it if we need to. Uh, and it's just a four-piece band with Eric. It's just drums, electric, bass, and then Eric plays acoustic. Okay. So a three-piece band and Eric. Gotcha. Uh, talking about attitude... I can say, now, you know, it wasn't my decision to make. I, I'm, I'm the band leader in the sense of, like... You're handed the responsibility, but... Well, I make musical decisions, but it's really collaborative effort. Yeah. But I'm, I guess maybe you could say I'm the line between... The line of communication between Eric and everybody else. Or vice versa. Or, like, a logistical thing, like, hey, let's run these songs to sound check. Okay. Things like that. But I don't have, like, hire and firepower. Mm-hmm. Okay, but when you're on the road like 200 days a year, yeah, with someone, I don't care how great a player they are, yeah, if they are a drag to be around, yeah, or if you are the if you are a drag to be around, yeah, don't expect you to don't expect to last on the gig, yeah, because being on a bus with somebody that many days a year, man, it's stressful enough, mm-hmm. but no one is forcing you to play music for a living and be gone that much or whatever you're complaining about. You're choosing to do it. So do it with joy. And there's somebody waiting to do what you're doing. Yeah. There's somebody waiting in line. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I can say for certain that one of the guys got let go solely based on his attitude. Wow. From from what I have, what I know about the situation. Yeah, well, that's that's realistic. I mean, sure. and that's be a, the first time that, that that's that's happened. a drag. Like, I like the dude, but man, and I guess where I was going with this is you were saying it's the Eric Pasley show. It's not about me. And when you're on the road, mm-hmm. you know, you run into people like radio reps, yeah, or runners that are taking you to a hotel or whatever. Man, if you got a bad attitude and you're effing this and effing that and this sucks, they don't remember. They don't remember that I'm Matt Iceman. All they remember is that I'm the drummer for Eric Pasley. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden they're like, "Man, Eric Pasley's kind of a dick," because mm. I'm representing him. Right. When I'm on the road, 
Yeah. With him, yeah. I'm representing him. That's all people remember. They don't know who I am. Yeah. They just know that the drummer from Eric Pasley is kind of a butthole. Mm-hmm. And Eric must be a butthole, too. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if he puts up with that. Yeah. So, I, we all have good and bad days. But, like, if that's just your general attitude day in and day out, you need to check it. Because I don't care for the best whatever in the world. Yeah. I don't need to deal with that. Mm. I don't need to be out here doing this. I want to do it because I like Eric as a person. I love him as an artist. His music is great. I think he's one of the few artists in the genre right now that is not putting out crap. Like, there's Mm. real passion and a lot of himself in his music. Nice. Yeah. Uh, But, man, I'll go find other work. Like, if that's the kind of people we're going to have out with us, I'll go find something else because mm-hmm. I don't need to be around that like I don't want to be away from my wife 200 days a year just to hear you complain mm-hmm. about something right 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 so and I can say that the other guy you have to be careful who you align yourself with on the road because if yeah if you're it and negative energy is way more infectious than positive energy it, it, I mean it, it, it takes travel, over a lot quicker it travels far yeah so you know you you got to be able to play your best every night mm-hmm and you got to have a good attitude about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's all I want to say about that. <laughs> oh, it's important stuff, man. No, it's it's. You're right. You're absolutely right. Um, playing and uh, I, I've said this before. Sometimes when you're in a smaller community where there's uh, less talent to choose from, sometimes attitude doesn't have as much weight. In the equation, right? When you're looking for players to work with, you need the players at your studio or in your band or whatever. Um, but when you're in a community like this, where there are so many players, so many good players, and I'm talking just about just say the drumming community, yeah, or just the guitar community, or just the keyboard community, if your attitude isn't right then go. To, they're going to go to the next person. Right. And that person is going to, probably going to be able to do the gig. They're probably going to be able to do what you do on stage, you know, or cover to, to accomplish the goal that the right. artist needs to, you know, have done. Uh, it, and they're going to be a lot... Because what you said, you played 20 minutes. And yeah. sometimes it was just a line check on the Brantley Gilbert tour. Right, right. I, maybe it was 25, but either way, like... Oh, well, see, that changes everything. <laughs> but no, so, so you, what do you have? 23 and a half hours the rest of the time every day exactly. to be with this person. It's not like you're driving from home to the venue and driving back. You're on a tour bus. You're on tour hanging out with this person. You're living. Right. This is your family, your road family, as people yeah, say. Yeah, And, and uh, you know... So, yeah, that has to, that's so important. And I think that um, it it is unfortunate that negative things have more weight and carry further than positive things. But at the same time, if you are known as a great player, uh, someone that comes prepared and has a reputation for being a cool person and easy to get along with, that to me is the trifecta, right? And and no one thing carries more weight over another. They're all just as important. Yeah, um, you know. So, but awesome. I just want to throw it out there because I feel like that's for any peop- young guys that are coming up that want to know what it's like on the road. Like, yeah, yeah. it's about getting along with people. 
as much as it is about playing the music well. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, uh, two quick things I want to cover, cover before we're done. Um, oh, don't say we're done, man. <laughs> oh, I'm having so much fun. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Um, uh, your education. Yes. You spent a year at Capitol, uh, where I, I went as well. Yes. Uh, and then uh, you took a year off, <clears throat> and then you went where? I went to this great school in Philadelphia called University of the Arts. Yes. Uh, and the way I found out about them, that year that I was home, mm-hmm. after Capitol, uh Again, there was like an article in Modern Drummer about this school. And one of the things they said about it was like, it was a jazz school as far as the music department's concerned. They looked at drum set as its own, man, I got a weird eye twitch all of a sudden. I'm sorry. (laughs) As its own like legit instrument. Yeah. So where Capital was more of, a conservatory thing even though like mm-hmm. I was a jazz major they have a great jazz it's department it's a liberal liberal arts co- uh, university yeah yeah so it's it's more broad based when when you're studying percussion there like mm-hmm. it was kind of like the first two years in your private lessons you had to study everything like formal and marimba and vibes and mm-hmm. timpani and all that right right which man I love to hear somebody play formal and marimba mm-hmm. well I love it. It's a beautiful instrument, and people that play it well are amazing. Yeah. I am not that guy, and I don't have any interest in doing it. Mm-hmm. Maybe that makes me, like, narrow-minded, but I really feel like I've known what I've wanted to do mm-hmm. pretty much from the instant I picked up sticks, and it was like, oh, this is this feels, like, natural. Like, I wasn't any good, but, like, you know, it's like the drums choose you. Yeah. Sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, wow, like, I should have been doing this yeah. before now. Something clicked. Well, And that's a rare thing, man. A lot of people go through their whole lives never really knowing, right. never finding that thing. So, no, you're not closed-minded. I think you're being realistic. It's like, no, this is where my passion lies, and I need to go this direction. And I've just always been, like, a fan of, of pop music. Mm-hmm. And I use that term loosely. Sure. Uh, and, like, jazz and, and things like that. But... I didn't. I never aspired to like play in a symphony. Yeah. Okay. I now I will say, the, my wife took me to see Tony Bennett the other night at oh, the Shermerhorn. Sweet. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of his. He's like yeah. one of the last true great singers. Right. On exactly. the planet. Yeah. Uh, but the symphony opened. Yeah. They had like four numbers before he came on, and I love to hear that stuff and oh, like yeah, watching Sam Baco down there. Yeah. The touch of the instrument and everything. Yeah. And, but I didn't aspire to do that. Like, I, I wanted to play popular, quote-unquote, music you in front differ- of large audiences. Yeah, you can differentiate. I mean, you could be like, this is, this, I admire this, I love this, I enjoy this, uh, but this is what I want to do. Those are, can be completely two different things. You're allowed to like things sure, that you don't sure. do. <laughs> so, and then I will say real quick, Harold Jones playing with Tony Bennett. Oh, you familiar right. with him? Yeah, yeah. Man, like that's awesome. Just amazing touch on the instrument, mm-hmm. and obviously that's like an ideal listening environment. But yeah, whew, it mm-hmm. was beautiful. And I haven't heard like good world class jazz played in a long, long time. 
Did you run to your car afterwards? I like, keep your ears closed, so nothing from... <laughs> yeah. It was... I mean, it was beautiful. Yeah. Like, man, and, and Tony's just... You're right. It, it, was, it was a great night. Anyway. Yeah. Saying all that, like, the capital structure was your first two years, you study all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then... If you're like a jazz major or like a music tech major, something that maybe you want to be more drum set oriented, your last two years you could really focus on that. Yeah. That's how it was when I was there. I mean, yeah. how many years are between us? Uh, I was there in 1956. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I'm, yeah. I'm assuming it was probably the same when, when you Yeah, were I'm trying to remember. I was a music business major. Well, I started out in education. Okay. And then after a year and a half in, I switched to uh, music business with an emphasis on merchandising because a lot of the stuff that I had taken carried over. But because uh, it was just more loose uh, for me to focus on drum set. Now, I don't think it was as structured when I was there. Okay, okay. Um, but it's also possible that it was. Um, but I I did... Um, I, I really enjoyed all those other aspects okay. of it. And so that was probably more... That appealed to me maybe more than it did to you. Sure. And maybe even in this current format, it might have still appealed to me. So I think everyone's right. different, but you found your voice. Well, you and, and part of the problem was I don't I don't think I was really mature enough to be a college. Who is when they're in college? I mean, but come you know, on. Sure, that's, that's a sure. lot to ask of. But you know what I mean? People. Like, sure. certain people are ready for it. Yeah. And, cer- and I mean, it's a big workload. Like, yeah. they tell you up front, you know, like... In the music lit class, where it's all the music majors of your freshman class together, and was Ray Eubanks there? When, yep. Yeah. He says, you know, everybody stand up now. Everybody look to your left, look to your right. Like um, those people aren't going to be here, you know. And and you're you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm not going to be one of them. Like I'm ready to do this. I know. He did and, that in 1990. <laughs> yeah. So it, I learned very quick, and and part of the reason I went there is I was studying with Jim Ed Cobbs. He was in that class. Okay. He was with me. I love that dude, man. I have and not he was seen with, or talked and, to him and, in such and, a long and, time. And that same announcement that, that uh, Ray Eubanks <laughs> said, and he goes, and I was so committed, and I was like, that's not me, just like yeah. you said. Yeah. And then we said, okay, guys, we have this freshman orientation, and it's at 9 in the morning, and Jim Ed Cobbs, it was his first year, and he said, oh, man, that's just way too early. And I looked over at him, and I said... That guy's not going to make it. Yeah. That's how ignorant I was. Right, right. <laughs> he just knew what was up, man. He's by the, by, by the time, in, he was already had spent some time at North Texas. Right. And then, so he graduated before I did. But by the time I was a senior, he was my teacher for a semester. There you go. And I learned so much from him. Man, What yeah. a great, super talented guy. I got hooked up with him my junior year of high school. So I studied with him. Like second half of junior year and all of senior year. Wonderful. So that was kind of what got me. I was studying with him at uh, Kenyon. Yes. He would go over there and teach because I was closer to where I lived. But he got me interested in Capital. So, like, I auditioned at Capital, I auditioned at Belmont here in Nashville. Mm. And I probably should have gone to Belmont. Like, my audition went way better. The dude was really interested in having me, it was cheaper. They gave me a bigger scholarship. But the thing that swayed me was, A, Capital's closer to home. Yeah. It's only like an hour and a half down the road. Mm-hmm. The, I will say the facilities for the percussion, like the practice rooms and everything, are top-notch. Like, yeah. They're really nice. They built that my 
sophomore year. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was Man, it's like a big deal. Yeah. But had I been thinking maybe further down the road, like, oh, if I'm going to move to Nashville, like, if I go to school at Belmont, that's like four years of no financial pressure mm-hmm. where you're already networking with people that are going to be working mm-hmm. here. And I say that now because I know a lot of guys that have graduated from Belmont yeah. that go right into working because yeah. everyone they know is working. Yeah, yeah. But I met my wife at Capitol, so... Right. I, th- I, I was obviously... I met my wife at Capital too, and she had decisions and about yeah. where to go, and yeah, that's the way it works. So right? I was obviously supposed to be there for that year, yeah. But man, I hated it. Like I just didn't see eye to eye with the structure of the program because I, I'm sitting here thinking, I had a, a friend from high school, same class as me, went to Capital. He was a guitar player mm-hmm. and also played sax. He was a jazz studies major, so in his lessons, he jumped right into like studying jazz guitar yeah and and jazz like repertoire right yeah right obviously you take some classical for technique and things like that right but i'm looking at that going well i'm a jazz studies major and i have to play in a jazz combo group of some sort but i'm not really studying any of this in my lessons like i'm looking at all this other stuff that isn't pertaining to to what i'm here to do yeah, you didn't inspire to be a Milt Jackson tribute band and play. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. So, whatever. Like, took a year off, played with that country band, but read this article about University of the Arts, and their whole thing was, you don't have to study mallets or timpani. Like, we don't have an orchestra or a wind ensemble, things mm-hmm. like that. It's we have like a ton. Of small jazz groups, we got three big bands. Mm. Everybody there is studying jazz and contemporary music. So you take snare drum for technique yeah. and sight reading and things like that. Yeah. But then it's all like drum set literature, and a lot of it, you know, you say literature, a lot of it's just go buy this record, transcribe this solo. Yeah, right. You know, or like, and so I remember I was twenty years old. I went and visited the school with my parents. In like February of 2004, I went back by myself, drove out there, and I'm from a little, little town in Ohio. Yeah. Coshocton. <laughs> it's like 13,000 people. Uh, I drove out there. I auditioned in like April. And man, there are like, the East Coast is a totally different thing when it comes to jazz. Like, yeah. their high school programs are insane. Mm. Like, Midwest has its thing where a lot of emphasis is on, like, marching band. Yeah. Because that's what's visible at football games for music programs. Yeah. I totally get that. But the East Coast is not that way. Like, they've got killer high school jazz bands that are mm-hmm. insane. Mm-hmm. So I'm 20, mm-hmm. and there's, like, these 17 and 18-year-olds that are, we're all warming up kind of in the same yeah. room. And they're just playing unbelievable stuff. And I'm like, I don't have a chance. <laughs> so I went into my audition... It went okay, but I came home feeling like, well, I'll just go back in two weeks and audition again. Yeah. Because I don't think that was very good. And, like, probably not even two weeks later, I got a letter of acceptance with a scholarship, and I was like, okay, awesome. Wow. So I went there for two years. It was amazing. I studied with Joe Nero. I studied with Jimmy Paxson, who has passed on now. But Uh his son, Jimmy Paxson Jr., plays with Stevie Nicks. He's an L.A. guy. But, dude, Jimmy Paxson was intense. Like, I think my first 
two weeks there, I bought like three hundred dollars worth of like jazz records from Tower Records because he was like, "Why don't you have any of this shit? Like, you need to be listening yeah, to this. Right. Like, <laughs> you need to put your headphones on at night and just listen to like Philly Joe Jones big band sounds, yeah, or, yeah. or like Clifford Brown and Max Roach, right? Because right. I played in big band in high school, but my jazz knowledge, even after going to Capitol for a year, like I. You know, I knew who Miles Davis was and Coltrane. I had like a record from each of them. Yeah, but I didn't know everything. Like I wasn't really digging into Tony Williams or oh, anything like yeah. that. You know, so I did two years there. It was awesome. It was like such a cool thing to be the only person I knew in like this huge, huge city. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and I think I needed that because as a person. It really shaped me and separated me from my parents. Yeah. Because there's a thing of, like, you grow up and, you know, whether it's politics or religion. Are you an only child? I am an only child. Okay. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I ended my wife's an only child. I okay. understand the dynamics with that. When, you know, there's just things like, oh, well, you know, for a certain part of your life, you just kind of believe whatever your parents believe. Right. As far as those things are concerned. Yes. But living on my own and mm-hmm. being like in a big city where there's a lot of other things mm-hmm. that I'm not going to be exposed to in Coshocton, Ohio, like it it makes you kind of shape your own beliefs about things and it makes yeah. you an independent person. I remember my wife, Amy, I knew her freshman year at Capitol. We were friends. Mm-hmm. And I came back after my first year in Philly. And we were just hanging out. Like, we weren't dating or anything. We were just friends. But I remember her saying, like, wow, you're, like, a totally different person. Hmm. In a good way. Like, like yeah. you, you're, like, more mature and you have, like, opinions about things that are, like, well-formed. You're yes. not just, like, spouting off something because you heard it on CNN or Fox News yeah. or whatever. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, right. Uh, so, even if the school experience wouldn't have been beneficial... Just living in a big city like that sure. was, was a big deal. Well, it probably prepared you for leaving that environment and coming down to Nashville as opposed right. to going from... I mean, yeah, that was my motivation for leaving Columbus was just to get away to see if I could live someplace else. Because even though I grew up in a big city, um, you still get very comfortable with that type of environment. Right. And that can shape who you are, which is which shapes how you approach, how you handle things in life. Right. And as we've mentioned many times before, playing in this business and how you handle people and and controlling your uh, uh, opinions about things when sometimes you need to, you know, keep all that stuff under control when you're on the road and different things like that. And so, yeah, I'm sure that was just as educational as what you learned on the drum set. Right. So, but it was great. Like, just the guys I studied with, playing in groups, it mm. was... I got to take a lesson with David Garibaldi, which... Oh, cool. Um, he's a huge influence. Like, I love Future Sounds. It's a great yeah. book. Yeah. Uh, just his whole approach to the two-level sound concept. Speaking of David Garibaldi, I do have Future Sounds. I love that. And, and uh, of course, Tower Power. Uh, but that was, I think, the first time that we met, is you were playing after me. <laughs> oh, I yeah. was getting my money. I was walking out of the club... <laughs> And you were playing... Uh, it was probably Soul Vaccination. Soul Vaccination. I'm still trying to get that one under oh, my Oh, me hands. too, man. And it's been part of my just kind of like... I think I've been working on that for 12 years now. And it's just like... And then I forget about it. And I come back to it. Yeah. Like, where am I at? And it's almost like a gauge of where my hands are at, especially. Right. 
in relation to the hi-hat and snare drum. It's yeah. like, how well can I play Sulfaxination? And uh, so I, I hadn't touched it in a while, and then I walked by you, and I was like... And the first thing I ever said to you was, hey, no no, no David Garibaldi yeah. on Broadway. Yeah. And... Uh, it was love at first sight. Oh, that, that's when we connected. Yeah, because like, you were like, hey, drummer. Hey, drummer. <laughs> hey, drummer. Well, I'm great. Oh, yeah. oh, your name is Matt, too. Yeah. Oh, oh, you went to Capitol, too. Oh, <laughs> yeah. you're from Ohio. What is going on yeah. with this, man? Man. Um, but then, uh, so, but actually, I know you were kind of drum wanking there before <laughs> the gig started. <laughs> well, you know, man. But you know what? It did. I don't necessarily promote this but um it did pique my interest and i'm like well i know where his listening is at right well that's what, what i was is doing this it, young guy up to just trying to be I hipper would, than you and then well, it, was, it didn't take long no whatever and then man. and then uh so i would stick around and listen to you guys play yeah, yeah just from i mean it kind of was that was the catalyst honestly it's it kind funny. of funny i was like oh. i'm glad i was working on it that night that one in oakland stroke man like jeez. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that these are good. Like almost like these are good exercises because they're musical. When you're going to use them, it's hard to know. But at the same right. time, they translate. I just like him because his grooves get you outside the usual thinking of like, oh, funky has to be like two and four. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this is a different approach, and, and yeah. it can be. But but yeah, he sure has definitely. I'm not saying that obviously two and four is definitely funky. I'm not saying that it isn't, yeah. but. I mean, Tower of Power is definitely more like slick or mathematical than like Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah, but it's still super funky. It is amazing. Well, you know, I like, think what I think what you can say is that you're going to have hardcore drummers slash musicians that are going to love it, and you're going to have just the average listener love it as well. Yeah, they're going to feel it. Right, they're going to feel it as opposed to other drummers or other fusiony things that are sometimes definitely have a smaller niche market. <laughs> yeah, as far as their listening audience is concerned. Right. Um, but yeah, so I got to study with him. I got to see McCoy Tyner. Yeah, saw Bruce Hornsby in in Philly. Like, and oh, he's probably sweet. my favorite artist oh, of all time. Like, nice. So it was just a big deal. Uh, and it was really good. Like it yeah. just shaped my playing, shaped my personality. Uh, but school is very, very expensive. And I had made a deal with my folks. Like, uh, all right, I, I want to go back to school. I don't want you guys to pay for it. Mm-hmm. You know, like because I like when I finished the capital second semester, I was on academic probation. I had like a one point eight GPA. Like it was, I was hanging out with people. And no, I was, I think I missed like two months straight of my 8 a.m. piano class. Like, it's just, it was bad. And, you know, yeah. when you're unhappy, you just, you aren't motivated to go right, and do right, stuff. Right, right. So I said, and I, I was never a great student. I want to put that out there. Like, in high school, junior high, like, I was an okay student, mm-hmm. but I was never like all A's or even A's and B's on mm-hmm. report cards. Like, had it not been for the music program. Yeah. I could have been an even worse student because I would have had no motivation to go. Yeah. So I told my parents, look, I want to go and audition here. I, I really think it'd be cool. I don't want you to like co-sign on the loans. I don't want you to help me out at all until we see how I do, you know? But it was really expensive. It's pretty mature, though. Well, age, yeah. I mean, I just didn't, they didn't need to be burdened with like another failure at school. 
You know what I mean? Like another failed attempt at at school because they're already paying for capital, which is yeah. You know, and and I didn't. You know, my parents do okay, but they weren't making like a lot of money or anything. Yeah, yeah. So, so I went there, and this is a testament to being at the at a school that is a good fit. I finished my first semester there, and I had like a three point six GPA, and yeah, which isn't you know, it's, but that's better than the one point exactly for me. That was like a big deal. It was mm-hmm. all A's and B's on the on my classes, and so. I did two years and they were all really good, but I just couldn't afford. I was like looking at it, going, "Man, I'm already like, you know, forty thousand dollars in debt from two years of school. It's going to be tough enough trying to find work as a blue collar musician without like eighty thousand dollars of school loans hanging over my head, you know? know? Yes. So the year that I had moved to Philly, the guys that I played with at home. Yeah. Had moved to Nashville. Yeah. And they were like, man, well, if you're really thinking about, like, maybe not going back to school, you need to come down here. Because yeah. it's great. We've met a lot of people. I think you'll be playing full-time, like, within a year. Yeah. So I came down and visited them, like, over July 4th mm-hmm. of 06. And, like, my one of the guys was a writer. So they mm-hmm. did, like, a writing session or a, a demo session for stuff he had written. Yeah. And, like, Brent Mason was the guitar player. Oh, wow. So getting to, like, see a real Nashville session go down and, mm-hmm. like, a three-hour, six-song demo session, mm-hmm. like, wow, this is cool. And I think mm-hmm. I could I could do this, you know? Yeah. Like, this is what I want to do. Uh, so, like, a month later, I moved down. I slept on Ryan's love seat for a year. And I'm, I'm six foot three, so a love, oh, oh love seat is... Not ideal, but man, for a I, year, yeah. Well, like eight months, maybe. But, oh, okay. <laughs> but, but yeah, one night so, sounds pretty cool. <laughs> so I did that. I worked at TrueWorks, and you know, it was about a year and two or three months, and then I was playing, and I wasn't making a lot of money. But with the Weaver Band, we slowly started picking up work, and where we had every Saturday at the mm-hmm. Tin Roof in town, every Friday at the Tin Roof Cool Springs, we got every Sunday at the stage, and yeah. Eventually every Tuesday, and then it kind of turned into okay, we're this cover band, but Weaver's kind of written some originals, and let's maybe work that angle and yeah. tour around. You guys shot a video, I remember that. Yeah, we shot we shot a video. It's like the hottest day of the year out at the uh, Plain Graveyard down in Murfreesboro. Nice. <laughs> yeah, but uh, and just did that whole thing, and it was a great band. Like. It wasn't always the easiest thing. Weaver, Chris Weaver is a great frontman, an amazing entertainer. Yeah. And stylistically has like a very specific thing he does vocally. Right. Yeah. But he does it really well. Yeah. Right? Sure. sure. But talking about living with people on the road, like, yeah. it was not always easy. And that's in like a van and trailer, right, you know? Right. You can't retire to your bunk or the back right. lounge. So. But, like, my two favorite musicians in Nashville came from that band, which Ben Owens on guitar and Corn mm-hmm. on bass. Like, we still play together for other people all the time. And it's, yeah. we always joke that it's like coming home because you can show up to, to a gig for an artist we've n- none of us have ever played with. Mm-hmm. And we've all got our charts. And we, show, and we like, from the first note, you're like, oh, yeah, this feels so good. Right, like, right. The gig goes smoothly. And, sure. Because that's what happens. You play with the same people for six years. Yeah. It's yeah. bound to 
It does. You're gonna have some you, mojo. Do you follow there. that? Do you follow yeah. it? Well, man, what are you looking at as far as uh, next year or, or beyond next year? I mean, you're working on your your studios just starting to get up and running. Right. Um, you've got uh, you've got a, a year and a half or so under your belt with Eric, <coughs> and next year looking at more stuff. I mean, yeah. Are you looking way beyond, or you're just gonna try and? Um, well, I mean, you know, everybody's goal in Nashville, if you ask them, is, oh, I want to do more studio work. Yeah. Right? I mean... Yeah, yeah, sure. But, like we were saying at the beginning, that it doesn't exist like it used to. So, I think everyone eventually is going to have to work on the road yes. some. Yes. You know? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, unless you're those four or five drummers... Mm-hmm that are able to just stay at home and, and do that all the time. Yeah. Man, you're going to have to take a road gig of some sort, I think. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate that Eric, he must feel like he can trust me enough to make me his band leader. And mm-hmm. so I feel like I have a little bit of job security in that. I mean, obviously you proved yourself. There's they, really no such that. thing as job security in the music business, but yeah, enough that I know, okay, maybe I can, I can voice my opinion without feeling like, Oh, the next day he's going to tell me to yeah. catch a plane home or something, you know? Mm-hmm. And I like his music. I like him. He's really easy to work with. Mm-hmm. He is an amazing songwriter, man. I mean, the stuff he's played for us on the bus that'll probably never see the light of day are some of the best songs I've ever heard. That's awesome. Amazing. Like, yeah. just amazing. It's a, it's a shame that they may not see the light of yes. day. Yes. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, keep working with him. But, obviously, yes. I want to make my studio and just studio work in general. Yeah. More of a uh, a prominent source of income, yeah, in my life, yeah. You know, I don't want to. Five years from now, I don't want to be having a year like I had this past year, where I'm like the bus is more my home yeah. than my actual home. You know, yeah. two hundred days of travel is it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, but I can't. I have to be thankful for the work at the same time. You can't just say, "Oh, I want to do this and." Right. Because I know a lot of guys that aren't working yeah. that deserve to be working, but yeah. it's all a matter of who you know. And I don't want to say that I'm not thankful to right. play 178 shows this year. That's, right, right. I mean, I'm, I made great money and we played great shows. Got to play cool events. We played Stagecoach Festival in yeah. California in front yeah. of like 65,000 people. That's awesome. We, and Red Rocks. That's yeah, and Red cool, Rocks. Man. We did Good Morning America. We yeah. did Queen Latifah. Like, yeah. I've never been more nervous than Good Morning America. <laughs> Live TV, man, that's like a whole other thing. Yeah, yeah. But, uh... Well, you built, you're building a foundation, and it right. sounds like to build on to more of that with, with then setting certain parameters once you have the luxury of making those choices. It sounds like that's what you're saying. Like, you're setting in place the studio, you're setting in place those experiences and working with... Uh, people that you really like working with and you yeah. can trust, like Eric, is going to establish a rapport and establish that. And then as you as you get older and as you kind of know what you need, what you need, what your family needs, then you can start making those choices. But you can't, if you don't have those options, you can't make those choices. Exactly. But building your reputation and building your name, then you're able to start maybe picking and choosing kind of how you want to spend your time and make your, make right. your money, you know, all that good stuff. So... Sure. 
I mean, uh, truthfully, in its simplest form, the goal is to just be able to keep playing music yeah. and make a living doing it. Yeah. At the end of the day, as long as I'm doing that, I'm pretty happy, regardless of the situation. Yeah, yeah. You well, know? that's true. That's, that's really true. the only thing I know how to do that I'm remotely good at, so... It sounds like it. It's <laughs> from what you said. <laughs> I'm kidding. I mean, Because construction, uh, uh, I can tell... No, I would I, I will say, like, I did... You know, it was a fun experience, like... And actually, if you want... I've got a, a Dropbox folder with pictures from what this place looked like originally. Ooh, that would be through cool. the I whole. I mean, that. I think it's like a hundred photos of like. Well, we'll, we'll so, take a handful yeah, and, and include yeah. them in because I think people are going to want to see that it, and see the skeleton of sure. it. I remembered looking at those pictures. It looks cool <laughs> when you laid this floor. Yeah, it was really. Yeah. it was really cool. I'm trust me, my brain was reeling when I was looking at those. It's like I don't need a my wife doesn't need to park her car in my garage. <laughs> right, <laughs> man. It, it's just one of those things. You got to make an investment, and I'm, it was some money. And I'm thankful to my parents and my in-laws; yeah. they were very helpful. Like, but I feel like, and every, people have been saying this for ten years, but it's the way the industry's shifting. And if I can actually make a good chunk of my income from doing this, then it's paying for itself. So, you know, oh, it is cool, man. I love. Actually, I, I'm a big fan of dark blue. Thank you. Yeah, I I just like really blue, and cool. I wanted something to kind of contrast the the floor. So I want to tie it. I just want to yes. say, first of all, I just want to say thank you yeah, man, for taking thank the time, you. man. I really appreciate it, and you have uh, so much great information. I I guess I feel like I just rambled, but no, no, no. Your story is unique, and yet it is a common theme. Yeah, you know, I find that to be the thing. Um, but no, I appreciate your time. Thank you.